but I just explained that my legs aren't hairy enough, so I can't possibly do that. <laughs> Welcome to my podcast, Spirit and Spice. I'm Gilly Bashan, a writer and broadcaster with a passion for food. Not just the food on my plate, but the people and the stories behind it. my whiskey barn and we're gonna have a masterclass in whiskey tasting by Anne Miller who is the international ambassador for Shivers Brothers Limited and I am so looking forward to this you brought such a collection of whiskies for us to try so please fire away right well I thought it'd be nice to start by our tasting with a taste of a whiskey which is um, from the Glenlivet de Surrey and this is one of the newest ones we have in our range. It's called the Captain's Reserve. And this is Scotch whiskey, which has been matured in Bourbon casks, and then it has been selectively transferred into French oak casks, which are matured cognac beforehand. So this is French cognac has impregnated those casks. And then when the whiskey's gone into them, that's taken out a little French accent. That so sounds interesting. And we I'll have a how. French person amongst us, Véronique, all the way from Paris. So it's bienvenue. So perfect. Merci. <laughs> so in honour of Véronique and to celebrate the old alliance between Scotland and France, <laughs> let us try the Glenlivet Captain's Reserve. Here you are, Véronique. And then in these lovely little tasting glasses, which are tulip shaped, it really concentrates the aroma and we can begin to appreciate those um, intense, fruity, um, orangey, fondant flavours. It's just extraordinary. It's very difficult to put it into words because there's just so many different things going on. But the Glenlivet is the quintessential Speyside single malt whisky. It's all about uh, the regional style is fruity, floral, sweet, and very long and uh, satisfying and smooth. But the Glenlivet just encapsulates all that. So would you say in this there's perhaps a little bit of apricot? Definitely, yes. And with some sweet orange zest. Perhaps pear and as pears well. And yes, definitely. Mm. So now that we've appreciated the aroma, mm -hmm. I recommend that you just take a tiny sip on the end of your tongue and just let it sit there for a second and work its magic on the end of, of the your tongue yeah just hold us just touch touch the end of your tongue with a drop of whiskey don't eat more than a more than a sip okay basically don't gulp your whiskey take prenez votre temps take your time okay je prends mon temps and it will just begin to sort of travel back across your tongue and towards the back of your mouth and fill your mouth and that's exactly what it does. It fills your mouth, doesn't it? That, that's it's lovely. rich and creamy and satisfying in the mouth. And then it just goes right the way down to your toes. It's wonderful. Well, Veronique was finding it rather cold earlier, so to have a whiskey warm you from inside. That's, that's, that's the answer. This is central heating. Central heating. Scottish <laughs> style. <laughs> yes, I understand. Yeah. How did so you like it? Um... I can't really say I liked it, but I could, you know, listening to what she was explaining, I could feel 
part of what she was saying. So mm -hmm. maybe it's the beginning. There's a pr lovely proverb I quote <laughs> whenever I'm doing a whiskey tasting is, never have whiskey without water, never have water without whiskey. Jamais de l'eau sans whiskey et jamais du whiskey sans eau. So a little water opens up the whiskey, releases the aromas, doesn't take more than a drop or two. It allows it to breathe. And at the same time, it reduces the level of alcohol slightly, which allows your the receptors in your nose and your tongue to really appreciate those subtle aromas much better. So try it again and see what you feel. I hope that you have found, Veronique, that by doing this, it's become much softer and smoother and creamier in the mouth. Um, see, I'm a, I'm a non-water person. Mm. Just gulping it straight, really, isn't it? <laughs> you know me so well. Well, the French have the phrase for it, chacun a son goût. And, you know, taste is subjective. Which Absolutely. Is... And what I'm describing is how we taste whiskey when we're comparing a lot of different whiskies or evaluating them. Mm -hmm. But when you're drinking whiskey with your friends around the fireside or in any other situation, it's how you want to drink it at that particular moment. But as a whiskey taster, are you always actually tasting the whiskey? You know how wine tasters, they tend to just hold it in their mouth and then spit it out. Yes. So are professional whiskey tasters always drinking the whiskey? Probably very seldom. They, they might nose up to 2,000 whiskies in the course of their working week. 2,000 in yes, a week? Could do, apparently. I can't imagine doing quite as much as that or anything approaching that, but nosing those whiskies um, and evaluating them entirely using their noses, because after all, all our olfactory uh, receptors are located in our noses. We can detect very little in our mouths. Mouthfeel is important, obviously, we, can't, we need to to taste it for that. So they will only taste whiskey in order to reassure themselves about some particular aspect and it could be less than half a dozen in a week. Mm -hmm. And they will generally then spit it out. So I couldn't have that job. Mm -hmm. I, I would I would want to nose, I would want to taste, I would want the mouthfeel, I would want to swallow. Okay. And only then would I be would I feel I could actually mm -hmm. give a, a sort of definitive description of the whiskey. It's extraordinary. I know, isn't it? I give in to temptation to taste uh, fairly regularly. Well, I think we're all giving in to temptation tonight. And it's a great part <laughs> of my job. <laughs> but, Anne, you mentioned several um, uh, jobs around whiskey master distiller, Still. master blender, taster. Can you just describe a little bit what those people are doing? Oh, the master distiller is the person who's responsible for taking the malted barley, the water and the yeast, the three um, primary ingredients that we use to make our single malt whiskey and transforming them into spirit. Then it will leave the distillery, be put into oak casks by law for a minimum of three years, uh, but often for very much longer and be locked uh, in a warehouse uh, here in Scotland uh, for the length of time that will be determined for its um, maturation. At that point, it will be transferred to the responsibility of our master blender. He and his team look after the, the whiskey in the warehouses and they will be selecting particular casks for particular products. And so they will decide when the whiskey is ready? Or? Absolutely, okay. yes. And which whiskies to combine together in order to make a particular style of uh, single malt. 
or if they're making a blended Scotch whisky, then they'll be bringing perhaps half the whiskies in Scotland together in order to make one bottle of a brand like Chivas Regal or Ballantines. Interesting. Well, I see you've knocked your first glass back, Emily. Um, I did, yes. Shall we <laughs> we'll move on to the next one, Terry? No, nothing subtle there. So what's the next one, Anne? Right. Well, I thought it would... Now we've tasted a whiskey that's been in cognac casks, uh, as well as American oak, I thought it might be interesting to taste a whiskey which has been matured in 100% in Spanish sherry casks. So we've got a version of our Glenlivet Nadura here. For many years, wines and um, sherries and ports were exported to Britain, to Scotland, in casks. The sherry or the wine would be uh, bottled in Scotland, and these empty casks were then utilised by this uh, enterprising Scotch whisky distillers to um, mature their whisky. It would then take on some of the characteristics of the sherry which had previously been in the cask. Here you are, Bernie. Thank you. It, perhaps it was just the way you were pouring it, but I've, I've got the impression that this is slightly oilier. It is, because this whiskey is at cask strength. So we have literally taken it out of the cask and put it straight into the bottle um, with minimum minimum treatment to it. We've, um, the, that is almost all we've done. So this is at 60.7%. So this is natural cask strength. Nadura means natural in the Gaelic language. Just appreciate it as it is. Hold, maybe hold the glass in your hands and warm it slightly, a little as if it were a glass of cognac, um, and warm it up and let those aromas come from the glass and you will appreciate some quite With intense flavours. whiskey, you get that beading, don't yes, you, yeah, as well, it, which is lovely. Yes, around the side of the glass in the candlelight, we can see a lovely effect in the glass and actually if I put the stopper back in the bottle and we shake it up you'll see that it's got lots and lots of bubbles which last for a really good long time mm. and this tells us this is a high strength whiskey um, whereas uh, the whiskey which was at 40% uh, the bubbles disappear. It just smells divine. I mean, it's got so many lovely sweet things going on in there. Spices and sweet fruits and... Yes, and dried fruits and raisins and... Raisins. and mm. Yes. Yes. So I, I have a terrible admission to make. I must be nose dead. I mean, I can tell the difference between the two, but beyond that, I'm, I'm finding it difficult to, to isolate a particular... Yes, and I don't, I don't think it is particularly easy, and I have the advantage that I have practised. Be true to yourself. What you notice the first time you put the glass to your nose is probably the most important thing. But then we tend to think, oh, no, that may not be it. Perhaps there's something else that I should be looking for, and then we get lost. But perhaps don't apply for that job as a whiskey taster. Because <laughs> no. a lot not of it no, is in I'll, the I'll, nose. 90% <laughs> of it is in the nose. <laughs> Yes, so, yes, if the master blender can apparently distinguish up to 4,000 different aromas, uh, and the rest of us mere mortals have no hope of getting his job when he retires. I'm still sniffing. Are we allowed to actually drink yeah, this one I now? I would recommend that you taste it too, yes, absolutely. Well, Emily and already has. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I have. She's getting into practice, yes. Yeah. Wow. Um, 
and this is powerful stuff mm. because the alcohol is 60%. So inevitably you're getting hit from the alcohol. But mm. now just Gorgeous. let it gradually work its way across your tongue and work its magic. And um, you'll begin to find that there's a wonderful intensity of sweetness like dried figs, dried apricots, dry dates, all sorts of dried fruits come through. But it's quite complex. And as you said, spices like nutmeg, cinnamon, ginger. And a lot of this is coming out of the Spanish casts, which have been made from European oak. And this is actually warming your throat even more. I mean, I have a slight cough, and that this would just be perfect. I should take one of these to bed. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is probably why, for generations in Scotland, whiskey was the cure for almost any ailment. And talk, talking about generations in Scotland and history for a minute, you know, you're describing these whiskies to us because this is what you do. You are so incredibly knowledgeable about these whiskies and whiskey tastings. I mean, we're a, a group of friends here in my whiskey barn, but you go out into the world and do this in different countries. You also host all sorts of international visitors in this country. Are people expecting a man? Uh, well, they're probably disappointed in that case. I suspect that probably quite often the expectation is that the brand ambassador, the person, the whiskey expert, has to be a man, and you know, and quite often he'll be wearing a kilt. But I just explain that my legs aren't hairy enough, so I can't possibly do that. So. <laughs> <laughs> it is acknowledged generally by the experts in the business that women often have a very good sense of smell. I'm not claiming that I have in particular, but. I see in my role as being to communicate whiskey and what makes it so special and what makes it so fascinating. Are you seeing more women coming into yes, whiskey Yes, I would though? say there are more women involved in the industry. One <coughs> of the ad advantages of the fact that whiskey, whiskey making is now involves a lot less manual labour than maybe it did a couple of generations ago means that it's a lot easier for women to work on the production side. So um, there are but also there are a lot more women in the doing the sort of job I'm doing. And what about at the consumer level? Particularly when you go abroad to countries where you probably do have gatherings of men in your tastings. Have you noticed uh, more there women? There are more women coming to masterclasses, coming to whiskey events, coming to um, the product launches I do, all these different things. There are more women, but they are still not um, getting to 50-50 level. Veronique, have you added a drop of water to this whiskey? No, because not. it was at sixty percent. So this is yeah. this is definitely something which it would be worth doing at this stage, I think. So I hope and you will see. find it's like open the tingle, it up. The tingle yeah. on the tongue is yeah. lovely. Have you tried this, Katie? This is I, I've got it neat here. I quite like the tingle too. Mm. Mm. What is tingle? Um, um, it is a tangle. <laughs> st um, maybe the French just don't tingle. There's maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> like fizz? Fizz, yeah. Effervescent. Pétillant. Pétillant. Pétillant, oui. So this whiskey now, with a drop of water, becomes really creamy and uh, the honey sweetness comes in, but all those lovely, intense. Um, and complex dried fruits and spicy notes are still very very evident. So this is the closest you can get to going into a warehouse, opening up a cask, putting in uh, a copper dog, uh, as the old uh, distillery workers would have done in the old days, and taking a sample straight from the cask, putting a bung in your little pipe of uh, copper, 
sliding inside their trousers, apparently, and then walking nonchalantly out of the distillery without anyone realising that was what they were doing. So uh, it was a very cunning way of stealing whiskey from the casks without the manager or the customs officer finding out. We've tried the Captain's Reserve yeah. and the Nadura that's from an Oloroso cask. Yes. So what are we going to move on to? Well, I thought it would be very nice just now to taste our 18-year-old, the Glenlivet. So I have happen to have a bottle here. And uh, so if you'd like to hand me your glasses, uh, let's try this whiskey. So this is single malt whiskey from the Glenlivet distillery. And every drop in this bottle has been matured in oak casks for a minimum of 18 years. So this is quite a significant investment in time spent maturing these casks, bearing in mind that every year that passes, at least 2% of the volume will evaporate. So at the end of 18 years, we've probably lost over a third of it. 36% has gone up into the warehouses and the wonderful aroma that greets us when we walk into a warehouse is the angel's share as we call it la perle des anges but what is left is absolutely exquisite definitely worth waiting for so now we can really appreciate what age can do to whiskey it can give it the opportunity to become smoother, richer, more intense, rounder, creamier. Everything is concentrated with age. This actually smells um, smoother and rounder than the uh, cast strength we just had. Well, that's the difference, very largely the difference in the level of alcohol, because this is back to about 40, I think it's 43%. And this has been created by bringing together whiskies, 100% of them the Glenlivet, which have been matured in a number of different types of casks. So some of them are made of American oak, which previously contained bourbon whiskey. So they will give a lovely golden color and creamy, fru fresh fruity, fl honey, vanilla sort of flavors. But at the side of them, there's been whiskey maturing in sherry casks made of European oak, and they will give us the flavors we've just been appreciating in the Nordora Oloroso of dried fruits and spices. And some of them were, might have been traditional casks which have been used already for Scotch whiskey, so they will have a less intense flavour, but allow it to develop its own character more easily over the years without being dominated by the wood. And it's about getting that balance between the distillery characteristics and the properties that the oak is going to bring because we don't want the oak to dominate the whiskey we want a balance and this I think is a very good example of a brilliantly balanced whiskey it's more caramelized bananas mm. toffee apples that we never smell yes light caramel at, um, creme brulee mm. um, how's your nose doing on that one so it's it, it, it's it's a lovely smell, well. but <laughs> as as far as picking out an individual aroma is absolutely shocking. <laughs> <laughs> if you're not actually getting the aromas, I wonder if you're getting the same taste in your mouth that we are, because you know the fact that the aroma is already sort of educating your palate before you even taste. Yeah, I can certainly taste the difference, and 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 I and I can tell you that I put, I'd, I'd like 
one more than the other. But beyond that, I think I'm... There's nothing wrong with well, that because at the end of the day, it's there to be enjoyed. It's, it's there to be enjoyed, so yes. If yes. there's one yes. you enjoy more than the other, you stick with that. I'm feeling a bit of a philistine, to be completely honest <laughs> with you. <laughs> there is a process called retro-olfaction where the, what you taste on your tongue that goes back up your nose and you taste it slightly differently. Uh, which is why wine tasters always lug their wine and go make elaborate sounds with it before they spit it out so they get some air in their mouths and they can taste it in a different way. Luckily, we don't have to master that technique in tasting no. whiskey. So there's no glugging of no, the whiskey no, 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 no. and getting the air into your mouth. Yeah, yeah. Just, <laughs> just take your time and enjoy it. Can I ask about the colour? Yeah. I presume that... that a whiskey will colour to some degree fairly quickly in a cask. But does it reach a point where it will not change its colour no matter how long it stays in there? Right, so you put new spirit, which is mm. colourless. It looks just like water. Mm. This is the water of life, Ushkaba. Um, and you put it into a cask and it will immediately start to extract colour from the oak. So the colour of the whisky is the natural colour. And particularly in the case of the Nadura whisky, we can see the difference between the first fill um, whisky, which is 100% American cask and pale golden colour. Um, and then the Oloroso whisky, which has extracted much more colour from those European oak casks, which previously contained sherry and a much more copper sort of colour. Uh, so that will happen relatively quickly, but it will get more intense as the years go by. You were saying that the, the colour only comes from the cask. There would be no cask, there would be no colour. That's right, yes, right? yes. Okay. Your, your whisky would be the same colour as water. Okay. Or colourless like water, yes. Which is what the whisky would have been like when in the days of whisky smugglers when they made their own spirit. Well, they did. Yes, every farmstead, every everybody would have been preserving their surplus barley by tr transforming it into whisky, uh, using it to keep themselves warm, that central heating you were looking for earlier, Veronique. Um, uh, drinking it over the winter months but they would have stored it in an oak cask because that was the universal storage container remember there were no glass bottles in those days there were certainly no plastics uh, so they used barrels so it would have rapidly have absorbed colour and worked with the oak to, to mature And how much do you think the water plays a part in the overall flavour? Every distillery has its own um, spring so the water we're using at each distillery will be different and will reflect the underlying geological structures. So uh, in the case of the Glenlivet, we have an extraordinary water source called Josie's Well. And we know that that water f uh, has filtered and percolated through limestone rocks in this area. So it's had the chance to absorb uh, minerals like magnesium and calcium, which make it very hard and the sort of water that doesn't um, give you bubbles in your, when you wash your hands very easily. So you, you're getting completely different water flavours here in the Glenlivet than you would be in some of the surrounding distilleries where the water has trickled over granite and is much softer. So it can make quite a big significant difference. We're about to move on to the whiskey that is actually from this glen. Absolutely, so yes. So it's rather special, isn't it? It is yeah. very special. So this next whiskey is a fascinating one because this is Breval Distillery, which is just down the road. 
um, a relatively modern distillery, but built in an area where there were hundreds of illicit stills for generations. So a great level of expertise in this area and knowledge of which springs work to make good whiskey. So Breval, a 16 years old, a single cask edition. I can tell you that this whiskey was distilled on the 5th of October 2000 and it was bottled on the 24th of May 2017. We even know that it was in a second fill hogshead. A hogshead is a cask which contains 250 litres of spirit. And this is a traditional sort of cask which was used for transporting sherry from Spain. It's a nice stout little bottle as well. But because it's a second fill, it's not going to dominate the whiskey with its flavours. Are you passing the whiskey all over yourself? Yes, I... Goodness me, I was just looking at the... uh, (laughs) looking at it through through the candlelight and burnt my finger. Oh, well, you've managed to sort of bathe in the whiskey at the same time. I'm going to to smell wonderful. Cleopatra did it in milk and you you, you do it in whiskey. Whiskey. (laughs) Oh, dear. Right. Mm. So, it's been bottled at 54.7%. So not quite as strong as the last cast strength whiskey we had, but still quite high in alcohol. It doesn't smell like it's really high in alcohol, though, like the other one. This one but just like seems... Smoother, it's more rounded. Yeah, yeah. Mm. It's definitely yeah, smoother. And if Glenlivet is known for being smooth and fruity mm. and floral, is Breval, has it got a bit of, you know, what's it known for? I find this quite floral. Mm-hmm. There is a bit of floral a little, there. And a little mm. citrusy, perhaps. Mm. Mm. And an, an underlying sort of caramel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We have a lot mm. of lovely wild flowers here in this mm. glen, and mm. the mm. water source for Brave Owl is, is, is just a little further up this glen. I wonder if that affects it. Wonderful heather here. I often find that smelling and tasting whiskey takes me on a, on a journey on my magic carpet, and sometimes I'm transported, as I often am when I'm drinking the Glenlivet, to... Um, Mediterranean settings and enjoying wonderful fresh Mediterranean fruit but this this would actually if I were tasting this anywhere except here this would bring me back to this part of the world and the wonderful scenery and the wildflowers and the heather and the the hillside and the wonderful pure fresh air. So this one brings you back to Scotland right? Yes yes it does yes. Okay. Yeah, and I think that that's possibly one of the reasons why Scotch whisky is enjoyed so much around the world by so many people who are uh, aware that they're, they're drinking this something that comes from a very particular place with a lot of character. Uh, yes, there's something very nostalgic, nostalgic about it. it. Yeah. Mm. I think it has tingle. It has tingle, <laughs> yes, it does have tingle, for sure. Yeah. Yes. This one actually could perhaps contain a few dog hairs in it because... <laughs> My dogs swim in the, de- <laughs> in, the, in the water source. So it's not just the hair of the dog. <laughs> yeah. 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 See, they didn't make a lot of this one. We don't bottle it very much of it as a single malt. And this is one cask which has been bottled. So you're drinking, as it were, a snapshot. Mm-hmm. Because when that cask was emptied and put into bottles, you know, it's that's it, it's finished. It's a limited edition. Talking about this glen, though, with the, the whiskey smuggling, uh, were women involved at that stage? 
I think there probably were quite a lot of women hidden away in the whiskey industry in the old days because um, the actual distillation was probably done out over the domestic hearth. I, most people living in a little cottage in this part of Scotland would have had an open fire over which would be suspended a cauldron, um, which perhaps have made making soup or porridge or something of this sort. And it would have been over that fire that the distillation itself would have taken place. And that cauldron was adapted by putting a top onto it and sticking it on to make a seal using something like porridge to just stick it round the flour and water paste as it were and then the distillation could happen put the put the beer like liquid in the bottom boil it up and then condense the vapors collect them and then redistill them for a second time and that's what's happening in a modern distillery on a much larger scale so women would probably have been doing that over the domestic hearth while their menfolk were out doing the more manual things that farming involved in those days. Um, so yes, they probably were. And they were very astute about warning one another that the excise man, the customs man, was approaching by maybe hanging the washing on a particular part of the washing line or over a hedge or something like that. And there would be a semaphore system that would travel up the glen long before <laughs> the customs officer got anywhere close. <laughs> and all the evidence of distillation would have been carefully concealed. And there are actually some interesting anecdotes about women who would perhaps take to their bed and pretend to be in labor or to be nursing a baby. Uh, and effectively, they were hiding that, that evidence is still. So clever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the customs officer would probably step back from actually pulling off the blankets and discovering just what was going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very ingenious. Yeah. And, and obviously they, they saved the whiskey. So yeah, I think we should drink to that. Yes, yes. absolutely. Yes. Yes. Drink to that. Yeah. <laughs> do you want to try this one, Katie? Yeah, but yes, thank you. I do allow my producer to have a little something now and then. <coughs> it's all rationed. She's, she's <laughs> really rationed. Yeah. <laughs> That's lovely. Yeah. Really nice. Ben, would you like to put another log on the fire yeah. so that we can enjoy our last bottle? I think if there's anywhere to do a whiskey tasting, it's right here. I Definitely. So. Yes. We're in the Smuggler's Glen, aren't we? Yeah, we are. And in a barn. Uh, you know, I think it's just perfect with a, with a log fire. Yeah. Right beside this very spot, uh, there would have been processions of smugglers travelling over the hills towards the villages and towns further south um, with small casts of whiskey on the backs of their ponies. Uh, doing their best to conceal what they were up to in the dead of night from the prying eyes of the customs officers. Groups of uh, local farmers would have joined together to create a caravan, as it were, processing over the hills in the dead of night. They'd have chosen a night when there was no, f no bright moonlight, a cloudy night, and sold their whiskey to blethermen and Bleathermen were the sort of intermediaries who would then have taken the whiskey further away to sell it to the merchants uh, in the towns and uh, so that more people could enjoy it. So at this point there would be a problem about proving that what you had in your cask was actually the real thing, the real stuff. And uh, so they, the way that they would do this would be to mix some of the, the, the whiskey with gunpowder. And if they could then light it, it was 
proof. Oh. And that's the origin of the old way of pr deciding how, what the level of alcohol was. Was it proof or not? So, and that was it, proof. If it lit, it was sufficient alcohol. And if it had been, water had been added, mm -hmm. and it wouldn't light, and it wasn't proof. Oh. So this is how we've ended up with this level of 40%, mm -hmm. uh, which in, in alcohol by volume, which is the old 70% proof. Is that where blether comes from as well? Yes. Ah, so yeah. they were going to spread the word? Yes. Yeah, yeah. the blethermen. Yeah, what are we moving on to now? Well, I thought we'd just move a little bit down the glen to another of our newer distilleries, again, one which was established in the 1970s. And this is called, well, the easy way to pronounce this is Alta Bain. But the Gaelic way to pronounce it would be Altabania. Um, but I'm not a Gaelic speaker. And, uh, and what does that mean? Do you know? The burn of the milk. Oh. So, again, it's, it's describing the quality of the water. This was obviously beautiful, clean, pure, potable water, which we all enjoy here in Speyside without thinking twice about it. But So this is a whiskey which is again a very new release uh, it's just just becoming available now and it's going to be slightly different from the whiskies we've tasted so far so i'd like you to have a sniff have a sip and tell me what you find it's an interesting looking bottle as well mm. yes it so is a different, different shape yet yes. again yes so this is quite a square bottle slightly broader shoulders than base very thick glass yes it is quite a substantial bottle it's mm. it's um and a nice Ooh, big thick incredibly sweet cork you didn't mm. expect that no i didn't expect that because i thought um you know, going further down the glen, I thought we might be moving away from that, but that's actually very, very sweet. That's much more sort of creme brulee, and um, yeah. the, the name is perfect. Milky, oh, yeah. milk, milky puddings, and um, Bernie's trying very hard to, <laughs> <laughs> to, to, to get sorry, it. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is water coming off Ben Rennes, which is um, a, the probably the highest hill in the area is just under 3,000 feet and this is granite so the water has fallen as snow on the hilltops uh, on the top of the hill and it's filtered down through the ground until it meets a level of granite and of course granite is impervious you can't it's not, you, the water won't go through it so it then erupts in a number of springs and Benrinis feeds over 15 different distilleries it's an extraordinary, it's Whiskey Mountain. Oh, and one of these distilleries is Alta Bain. Uh, there are a number of others. Which is not um, a distillery you can visit, is it? No, again, this is like Breval, this is a distillery which isn't generally open to visitors. Has anyone tasted this whiskey? Guess who has. Yeah, yeah, guess it. who, these uh, pairs. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, well ahead of everybody else. But do you know no what? what Emily's I grinning. <laughs> 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 gone silent and just a permanent mm. grin yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I, th th there's something about that that I found quite striking and that was the nose on that was mm. real vanilla and cream really yes. powerful then the palate was different it's actually it's, it's quite complex the palate but there's a hint of peat absolutely mm -hmm. yes Bonkers. there is definitely a hint of peat in this one it's sweet and peat or mm. sweet peat yeah 
you'll get a very distinctive aroma from the, the peat, and this flavor will impregnate the grains of barley and give a little flavor to the, or a significant flavor to the whiskey that comes out at the, very, at the end. So this whiskey has been made using some uh, a lightly peated malted barley. There are whiskies which are much more heavily peated than this one, but it's got a beautiful balance between, mm. as you've said, between the sweetness and the smoke, slight smokiness. Yeah, that is stunning. That is it's really, really stunning. Bernie, you, have you managed to detect any of that? <laughs> <laughs> Purely personal choice. I much prefer the Breval to, to the Altavone. Yes. Yeah. I, I don't like peaty whiskey anyway. So you're very happy living here in space, space surrounded I... by whiskies, yes. which are mostly fruity, creamy, sweet, sweet. smooth. Yes. Smooth, yes. And the yes. fruitiness, yeah. yeah. And I, I can't think of a better place to be. <laughs> yeah. But I do like a little drop of peat every yeah. now and again to uh -huh. get that balance. Yeah. And it's interesting that the peaty flavour is something that you appreciate at the back of the mouth. The sweetness is dominant at the front, mm. and the tannin or smoky notes only come in at the back. What is peat? Peat is uh, in French, sorry, in la tourbe. La tourbe. Oui. Ah. So those material végétal décomposé. So this is local plants which have rotted down and created in an acid environment. So you can still see traces of the heather roots and the plants which have uh, fallen on the ground. And uh, traditionally, every spring, everyone would go up to the peat moss, cut their peat in pieces, brick-sized pieces, leave it, stack it in a way that allowed the wind to blow through it, dry it. And then much later in the summer, there would be another expedition up to the peat moss to bring back all those peats back to the house or back to the distillery and to provide the, the, the fuel that was needed over the winter months. What does the pagoda shape has to do with the whiskey Whisky. taste <laughs> or smell? The pagoda was created towards the end of the 19th century as a sort of fantastic chimney to draw the air from the fire at the bottom through the deep layer of barley, which could be uh, maybe 30, 40 centimeters deep and draw that hot air through it. So it ventilated the, the it was like a top to the chimney, if you like. And uh, there was a, a very interesting man who was an architect in the late 19th century called Charles Doig, who came up with this design. And Doig pagodas are fascinating additions to a lot of the distilleries here in Speyside. Strathila Distillery would probably be the quintessential example with its twin pagodas. Uh, beautiful looking distillery, uh, makes lovely whiskey as well. So this was a, an attractive addition to a distillery, but it was also there because it fulfilled a function to, um, to create an efficient process for drying the barley. Okay. Well, I, I really am impressed with that, I must say. I mean, if you're not looking for a minute, Anne, I might just sneak that bottle um, yeah. into my cupboard. <laughs> it's delicious. You're enjoying it too. Yeah, I, I wasn't expecting um, to like the peated ones as much. But um, yes, I'm new to whiskey drinking. And actually, that is really lovely. I love the, the, the depth that you get at the back 
and I think I might, my nose might be a little bit like Bernie's in that <laughs> I can smell all those things and Gilly says them and I go, oh yes, that I, c- I can smell different things. I know they're different, but it's actually putting a name to those things. That's the bit that I struggle with. But as soon as you say, oh, you know, bananas or... I toffee. Could, I could just say anything. I mean, by the time, <laughs> yeah. By the time you've glugged your whiskey down, I could tell you anything, and you'd think, "Oh yes, that's in yeah, there." That's in there. Yes. <laughs> but no, the, the 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 slight peat in it is is really lovely. I really like it's it. It's like kind it? of um, slightly bonfirey, and I I love that smell. So I, just, I was weaned on Kulila, which is a is a. I mean, weaned. I mean, I like yeah. to say that, but you know. <laughs> But very, <laughs> but very young, I, 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 you know, would be allowed to have little bits of Kalila, which was a, my, my father's favourite whiskey. But we always had Kalila in the house. So even when I was growing up in Africa, the, the whiskey that we would drink around the campfire would be Kalila. So it was, it was peaty whiskey. So this, to me, it's just a hint of peat, that absolutely mm-hmm. a hint. And it's a delightful hint. Mm. It's a beautiful balance, mm. isn't it? It's a beautiful balance. Mm. Veronique, have have we managed to convince you that uh, whiskey is a delightful drink? Um, I wouldn't quite say that, but I think um, I, I find it interesting. At least it's it's I'm I'm still I'm still struggling to really appreciate it when I drink it, but still I can see there is something to it. So. I made progress. So are you, are <laughs> thanks you, to you. Are you enjoying finding out about it? Thanks to you. Good. Yes. Good. <laughs> and thank you so much for sharing your knowledge with us because it actually has been delightful and I've got to taste whiskies I never would have tasted, you know, like the Altabagna and the Breval there, and they were my favourites. But let's just recap which ones we did do. We started with Captain's Reserve. From the Glenlivet Distillery, yes, that's right. And then we tasted the Glenlivet Nadura, which is the natural cast strength range, and it was the Oloroso whiskey, which is 100% in sherry casks from Spain. And then we moved on to the, another Glenlivet, the 18-year-old. That was delicious too. Yeah. yeah. Great. Thanks for coming, everybody. And slam. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do. We'll do. We'll do one more time. What, 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 what yeah. did you have Cheers. Here we go. Cheers, everybody. Whoa. Oh, delicious.